0: This message is brought to you by Mill City Church in Lowell, Massachusetts. For more information, please visit millcitychurch.net. Are you guys ready to study God's Word together this morning? Turn to the book of Isaiah, chapter 6. The Old Testament book of Isaiah, chapter 6. Over the years, I have traveled via air, for air more times than I can remember, but there is one flight that I still remember with vivid imagery, and it was about 15 years ago. Um, I was traveling back home uh, to Boston Logan Airport on New Year's Eve, and the weather that evening was particularly New England-esque for a New England winter, and I remember uh, it was still daylight outside, but I could not see the familiar sights below me that I was so accustomed to seeing upon our initial descent and It was because we were in a very thick, miry fog, and so the the flight attendants kept preparing the flight for landing, and the The pilot kept coming on and everything is normal. I'm looking outside my window and all I see is a thick cloud of white. And so because all I could see was a thick cloud of white as an experienced air traveler, I surmised that we were still 20,000 feet in the air and we were simply circling the runway waiting for a place where we could land. And then out of nowhere... I felt the thud. I felt the hit. I heard the hit. We landed. We had landed, but I'm looking out the window, and I can see nothing. I see no lights. I see no buildings. I see no water. I see nothing. I was so confused. Our pilot landed the airplane... Not by sight, but completely by instrument. Now that might be a scary proposition for some, but it's actually one of the safest realities for air travel. Because it is the place where the airline pilot finds his greatest security is trusting the instruments, trusting the panel, and trusting the voices from the control tower thousands of feet. Below, even in the midst of my confusion, the pilot knew exactly what he was doing and exactly what had to be done in order to get us all safely on the ground. Brothers and sisters, as I laid forth last week in starting out this series, as we live here in the year 2020, we are also currently experiencing a fog of circumstances we haven't experienced in some time. When you put it all together, a global pandemic, a teetering economy, social unrest, racial injustices, dysfunctional politics, all of this and more have left us wondering, when are we going to land this thing? Or why can't I see clearly to the ground? Or maybe you thought, Okay, the circumstances are what they are. I'm not sure what to make of them, but what am I even supposed to do in the middle of all of this? And left to yourself, the confusing fog of circumstances all around you can cause you spiritual danger if not careful. But with your eyes on Jesus and your ears towards the voice of his word, you not only can survive this foggy confusion, but you can also thrive in the midst of it. And it will be because he has anchored your soul to himself, so that even in the densest of fogs here on earth, your view will be crystal clear Because your gaze is fixed on something so much bigger than yourself. So last week, we began our series by learning how to remain steady in a chaotic world. This morning, what I want to do is I want to walk us through what are we supposed to do in the midst of a confusing world. And to find some answers, I want to look at Isaiah's vision of God In Isaiah chapter 6. Here's the setting. In the Old Testament, God's people, Israel and Judah, were a theocracy. They were an actual nation state on earth, but a theocracy with God as their king. They actually demanded to have an earthly king because they wanted to be just like all the other nations around them. So God gave them what they wanted. And sometimes that worked out okay because they had a very faithful king who led the people into righteousness and obedience before God. But other times it didn't work out so well. I would even say oftentimes it didn't work out so well because they had a very pagan king that led them towards idolatry and, and, uh, and disobedience before, the, before our eternal king. And at the time of Isaiah's writing, King Uzziah... Was in power, and he had led Judah for decades. And he had led Judah for decades with mostly faithfulness, but also with great success. During his reign, the people experienced much prosperity, much peace. From an earthly perspective, we might even say that Uzziah had made Judah great again. He was a much beloved king, even as flawed. As he was. And against this backdrop, we begin reading in verse 1: In the year that King Uzziah died, okay, just stop right there. Put yourself in Isaiah's shoes. Our great King Uzziah, the one who has led us for so many years. The king who has kept us safe from foreign enemies. The one who has made our economy so strong. The king who has brought us so much order and restored such national pride to Judah. Our beloved king Uzziah. Dead. Now what? Right? The king in whom we put so much trust and hope. He's gone. What do we do now? Well, simply put, in these B.C. times, confusion set in. The people didn't know what to do. They didn't know what to make of their circumstances. They're very confused. Just like so many of us, when we're looking around We could be very confused today. And so this morning, as we learn to be steady, anchored to Jesus in a confused world, here's what I want to show you. I want to show you a multi-directional focus to ground you in the middle of confusing times. I want to challenge you today to look upward, to look inward, and to look outward, Look upward, look inward, and look outward. So here we go. First, I want to challenge you. In the midst of your confusion, what do you do? You look upward. God is still sovereign. God is still sovereign. Look at the contrast Isaiah paints for us in verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. This is so instructive for us thousands of years later because in Isaiah's time or our time, but let's think about Isaiah for a moment. In the year that normality was disrupted, in a time where prosperity was now threatened, in a moment when confusion was rampant, when the earthly sovereign died, Isaiah said, I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and remembered that he is still sovereign. The Lord is still in control. Earthly circumstances are not outside of God's heavenly purview. And Isaiah qualifies this for us as we make our way through the text. So very quickly, I want you to follow along with me through verse 4 because briefly what I'm going to do is I want to show you a clearer picture of the sovereignty of our God through Isaiah's vision. In verse 1, Isaiah is reminded that God is constant. Uzziah had died, but the Lord is sitting on his throne. On January 20th next year whether we're inaugurating President Trump for a second term or President Biden for a first term the Lord will have still been on his throne earthly rulers come and earthly rulers go but our God's rule is constant he is constant in verse 1 we also learn that he is transcendent He is transcendent. He was upon a throne, high and lifted up, it says. The Lord is high and lifted up with countless winged creatures serving and worshiping Him. Friends, in the midst of our confusion here on planet Earth, in the midst of our confusing world, our God sovereignly transcends our world. He transcends our confusion. So to bridge last week's sermon to this week's sermon, that's why we fix our gaze on what we cannot see rather than what we can see. We need to see beyond what's here on earth. Our God is transcendent. In verse 3, Isaiah reminds us that God is incomparable. He's incomparable. Look at what he says. And these seraphim, these winged creatures, called to one another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. God is perfectly holy, Isaiah says. The thrice-repeated terminology here points towards the theological superlative. God is the holiest of the holy holies in all the universe. He is wholly pure in character and he is wholly distinct in being. No one can compare with our God. There is no one and nothing like him. And lastly in verse 4 we see that he is majestic. We see that He is majestic. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of Him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. God speaks with thunder, and His presence is gloriously radiant. All of these traits, that God is constant, that He is transcendent, that He is incomparable, and He is majestic, all of these traits and more remind us that our great God is constant in the midst of our confusion, and there is no one who compares with our Lord. Brothers and sisters, when life was uncertain and times were confusing, Isaiah saw a glimpse of God, and when he saw that glimpse of God, he caught a glimpse of certainty and order, and as a result, he shows us thousands of years later an important truth. As you face your own uncertainty, and as you traverse through your own moments of confusion here on earth, when the fog is dense and you cannot see and you don't know what's going on, what you need most, Isaiah would tell you, is not an answer to all of your questions. What you need most is not a quick fix or an explanation of all of the hows and the whys and the what's surrounding what is going on. What you need most is to know God and be reminded of his ways. And we primarily understand that. We primarily are reminded of that in the pages of God's word. Because it's where we understand who he is What he's done in the past so that we can understand what he might be doing in the present. Another one of Judah's kings, King Jehoshaphat, knew this truth very well. Because he faced a three-pronged attack from foreign invasion. And when that invasion was coming, he was very confused. And the people of Judah were also very confused in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. And in verse 12, we have this very famous prayer recounted from King Jehoshaphat. This is what we we find in 2 Chronicles 20. For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Isn't that good? Isn't that really encouraging? Don't you feel that way sometimes? I mean, don't you feel that way when you're looking? You say, Lord, I don't know what to make of this right now, but my eyes are on you. Father, I'm really confused in my circumstances, but I'm looking towards you. I'm looking towards your word. God, everything seems to be changing around me, but you are constant. You never change. Friend, when flying into the midst of the fog of confusion, even a literal airplane pilot is taught To trust his instruments and avoid making erratic course changes in the middle of the fog. His life depends upon it. His passengers' lives depend upon it. And when confusion comes to you, when confusion comes to me, we're going to be tempted to change course. You're going to be tempted... To take the controls into your own hands and come up with your own solutions and your own explanations to what you are experiencing. You could even choose to do something very erratic and dangerous like jumping kamikaze style from the plane and even abandoning your faith and running away from God because you are experiencing discomfort or confusion. But remember don't look to your circumstances and don't trust your ways but look upward look upward and remember that God is still sovereign He is sovereign over your confusion and He is still sovereign in the midst of your confusion earthly confusion does not negate heavenly constancy So remain steady as you look upward. And secondly, remain steady as you look inward. Okay, So when we're in the midst of confusion, we look upward and see the sovereignty of God. And then we look inward to see the state of our own heart. So look inward and remember that the gospel is still true. Remember that the gospel is still true. Confusion and circumstances have not changed that reality. Okay, so in the midst of Judah's confusion, Isaiah looked up and saw the greatness of God. And as always is the case, when a human being catches a glimpse of the greatness of God, or when we are reminded of the sovereignty of God, there is a deep sense of contrition and humility in response. Look with me at verse Five. I love this. So Isaiah had seen the Lord. The foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. Verse 5 said, And then I said in response, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah is met with a cosmic dilemma. How can a sinful, imperfect, broken human being like himself worship, pray, speak to, or serve a holy, sovereign God like the Lord? It's it's like... Walking outside of your house in the midst of a public square and being stripped of all of your clothing and just being laid bare naked in front of a watching, cl- watching world. You feel so vulnerable. You're so exposed. There's nothing you can hide. How? How do you reconcile these two? And the answer to that question is, is the grace of God. How do you reconcile a sinful man in the presence of a holy God? It's the grace of God. God gives his grace to meet Isaiah right where he was. Look at verse 6. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for brothers and sisters this is the gospel on display in the old testament now i don't want you to get tripped up or confused due to the old testament sacrificial system and and the language that's being used here focus in on the fact that it was god who took the initiative with isaiah isaiah didn't take the initiative with god god chased after isaiah God provided what Isaiah could not provide for himself. God provided a way for atonement. He provided a way for his sins to be forgiven. Just like Jesus does for you and just like Jesus does for me. This is the very heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And So brothers and sisters, even in the midst of great confusion, the gospel is still true. Earthly confusion doesn't neuter a heavenly gospel from its power. Even in the midst of your confusion today and these circumstances in which we're living, the tomb is still empty. Jesus is still alive. And Jesus is still saving lives. Jesus is still empowering lives. Even through our confusion. So I want to remind you to look inward at your own heart. And as you do, I want to challenge you to depend on the grace of Jesus' gospel in two different ways. Number one, depend on His saving grace. Depend on His saving grace. Just as God atoned for Isaiah's sin, know know that Jesus offers atonement for your sin today through his own sacrifice on the cross of Calvary. Peter, one of Jesus' disciples in the New Testament, wrote this in his first letter to the church at Rome. He writes this about Jesus in 1 Peter 3. He says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh but made alive in the Spirit. You see, friends, so often in God's spiritual workings, he uses confusion and chaos to draw us to himself. Maybe you've even noticed that in your own life. When when times are hardest or when times don't make sense the most, it's then that we see God for who he is in ways that we never would have seen otherwise. It's when the earthquake of our trials and confusion hits, that we face our own mortality and start pondering eternal things. I mean, even in the midst of this pandemic, we've witnessed God drawing men and women to himself. We've seen multiple people respond positively to the gospel in the midst of these times. And Jesus has saved them. Jesus has given them new life. We've seen many be baptized in these waters as they trust as saving grace. So if you're here this morning, or you're watching online right at this moment, and there exists an unsettling feeling in your heart, don't waste the confusion. Don't waste the doubts and don't waste the struggle. It could be that God is shaking the foundation of your core in order to draw you to Himself. And if He is, depend on His saving grace. He has made a way for you to be right with Him through His Son. And so repent and turn from your way of living. Repent and turn from your sins and turn towards faith in Jesus Christ Know that today can be the day of your salvation. So depend on the saving grace of Jesus to make you right with God. But I also want you to depend on His sanctifying grace. Depend on His sanctifying grace. If you are in Christ today, know this reality. The grace of the gospel never stops giving to you. The grace grace of the gospel never stops giving to you. The gospel is not a one-stop drive-through through through the spiritual McDonald's. God's grace to you begins at salvation and continues throughout your life and will take you to meet Jesus face-to-face at the end of your life. The same grace by which God saved you is the same grace by which God sanctifies you. And that word sanctify is a biblical word that in essence means to become more and more like Jesus. And so through his sanctifying grace... What God is seeking to do in your life through all of the victories and all of the failures, all of the mountaintops and all of the valleys, through His sanctifying grace, God wants to mold you more into the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. More into the likeness of Jesus. And life on earth is the studio where God does His work. our times of chaos, our times of confusion are oftentimes the divine potter's will where the master artisan is forging and shaping us. And though it's sometimes very uncomfortable and even painful as His thumbs dig in to give that perfect shape to your life and faith, our God promises that His grace... His grace will be sufficient for you, and his power will be perfected even in the midst of your weaknesses. So, in your moments of confusion, when you are doubting, when you literally are looking and you do not know what to do, use these interrogative devices. Ask yourself these questions. Is there a sin I need to repent of? Is there a sin I need to repent of? Is there, is there something in my life that I'm hiding or that, that God would want to forgive me of? What does God want to teach me? I'm uncomfortable. I'm in pain. I'm in doubt. What is it that God wants to teach me in this discomfort, in this abnormality how does god want to grow me could it be that the very circumstances that have that have shaken the core of my foundations are the very circumstances and means by which god is going to grow you to become more like his son jesus where does god want to use me where does god want to use me is it in my workplace is it in my home is it among my friends is it among my places of recreation where is it where does God want to use me who who does God want to use me to reach and that leads me to the third direction I told you at the beginning that what I want to give you today is a multi-directional focus to ground you in the midst of these confusing times. So we look upward and remember that God is still sovereign. We look inward to see the need of our own heart and remember that the gospel is still true. And the third direction is I want to focus you outward. Look outward and understand that the mission is still ongoing. The mission is still ongoing. I love this in Isaiah 6. So Isaiah has encountered the Almighty God. He's been wasted in himself, falls down in contrition and humility, and God provides atonement for him and makes him right and renewed with himself. And here is the response in verse 8. Isaiah says, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And he said, Here I am, send me. I love this because even in the midst of very confusing times, even in the midst of very unsettling times, and times of abnormality and, and uncertainty for Isaiah... Isaiah, when he had encountered God and he had encountered God's forgiveness and encountered God's restoration, he couldn't contain himself. Send me, Lord. I want to go tell others what I have experienced. I want to go to proclaim what I myself have heard. In the midst of this pandemic, I think there's been a temptation for all of us Whether we are a pastor, whether we are a church leader, whether we are simply a church member, whether we are brand new to the faith, or whether we've been walking with Jesus for a long time, I think there's just been a sense among us that we're just simply waiting for things to get back to normal. And when things get back to normal, then I'll start pursuing Jesus more wholeheartedly again. And when things get back to normal, I'll seek to be on mission again. And we've we've convinced ourselves that because we can't travel real well, because we can't fly overseas very easily, and we can't gather the way in which we are accustomed to gathering, and we can't be around people in the same way we're used to being around people, we've convinced ourselves that somehow on March 15th, when things just kind of shut down, that that moment, the mission of God, went on pause. And when a vaccine is found and normality returns, then we'll press that pause button and, and we'll resume the mission of God. But brothers and sisters, I want you to recognize that the gospel need that existed in your neighbor's lives and your family member's lives and your roommate's lives and your coworkers' lives, the gospel need that existed on March 15th is still there today on September 27th. And it's still going to be there tomorrow. Friends, what Isaiah shows us that as followers of God, we've been commissioned with a commission to tell others and to walk alongside of others and to show others the way of faith and the way of certainty, whether we are in times of normality or abnormality. The mission of God has not stopped. I fear, though, that for many of us in the room... We don't have confidence that God could use us. We don't have confidence that God would use me to tell the goodness of God or to show the word of God to anyone in our lives because we're not educated enough. We don't have seminary training. We haven't walked with Jesus long enough. I'm reminded of my own story. I, I came to faith when I was a, a young middle school kid at age 14 And I was pretty faithful to Jesus throughout my high school tenure, but there were so many dots of the Christian life that just weren't connected for me. And so I had pretty much, in a reductionistic way, reduced the Christian faith down to just simply avoiding drugs, alcohol, and sex before marriage. And as long as I didn't do any of those things and have a potty mouth, then I was honoring God with my life. I mean, that's pretty much how I'd reduced it down to But understanding Christian discipleship and being on mission with Jesus. Or even that Jesus would use me to change anybody else's life. And then I got to college. I got to college and and there was a campus minister at the University of Southern Mississippi named Drew Parsons. And God used Drew Parsons to radically change my life forever. Because what Drew did on the first day of school, I had met Drew the day before at church and he came and met with me on campus on Monday, that Monday, that first day of class in August of 1996. And Drew just sat down with me and started walking through the gospel. And it became very clear that I knew the gospel and I would responded to the gospel. And I was a disciple of Jesus. And, and Drew just started challenging me. Chris, who are you going to share this with? Who are you going to tell And what Drew did is Drew started taking me around with him. And as he would share the gospel with other students, I would be right there alongside of him. And then there was this day when Drew asked me to lead the discussion. And I fumbled around and it was a mess. And nothing magical happened that day. Nothing mystical happened that day except I just had, I I grew in experience, okay? But what happened is Drew kept teaching me the word over the course of a few weeks, And after a couple of months, I had this stack of Bible study lessons that I had walked alongside of, drew and learning. And I had a friend in my hall, on my hall in my dorm. His name was Ryan. And I remember one day, I just boldly just asked, Ryan, would you want to study the Bible with me? And it was probably about as eloquent as a 15-year-old guy trying to ask a girl on a date for the first time. And Ryan agreed Ryan said yes. I didn't know what else to do other than take the simple lessons that Drew had taught me. And I just sat down and we opened the Bible and looked at the exact same scriptures that I had written on that sheet. Much like your listening guide that you're holding right now. And over the course of a couple of weeks, Ryan placed faith in Jesus. And as a young 18-year-old freshman who was clueless about so many things, about Christian discipleship or the Bible, God used even me, yes, even me as an 18-year-old kid to lead my friend to Jesus Christ. And I'm going to be honest with you. That became an instantaneously like a drug for me. I couldn't get enough of it. Because I had had that positive experience, even in the midst of all of my failures, I wanted to keep doing this. I wanted to keep sitting down with other people. And it pretty much marked my college tenure. And it's what started me on the road to ministry. Brothers and sisters, here is the liberating truth I want to remind you of today. God will use even you to reach your neighbors. God will, re- God will use even you to reach your neighbors. You don't have to have a seminary degree. You don't have to be able to answer every theological question someone may ask you. You simply have to be present and give to others what someone else has given to you. And you may say, well, I've never had anybody and personally walk alongside of me in the faith. If you've been at Mill City even for a couple of months... You have at least eight or ten Bible study guides that you've received here. And if you've been a part of Mill City for even longer than that, you have an anthology. (laughs) Don't use the excuse that you don't have material. You've been given plenty of material. And your confidence is not in what you can do, your confidence in what He can do through you and through the message. It's not your eloquence that saves anyone, it's the power of the gospel. It's the power of the word. And so give to others what has changed your life and saved others. And it saved yourself. So here are some practical things I'm just going to give you in conclusion this morning and how to think about this. Number one, just in your conversations, be present. Here are three questions that you could ask anyone in your circles, whether at work or in your family. Number one, do you need anything? In the midst of this pandemic, in the midst of these circumstances, is there anything that you need that I might be able to be a help to you with? Number two, how are you? How are you doing I mean, strip away the facade of, oh, I'm fine, everything. No, seriously, how are you? How are you really doing? How are you navigating these abnormal times? And number three, is there any specific way I can pray for you? Is there any specific way I could pray for you? Brothers and sisters, those are three questions that anybody Whether you're a child or whether you're a retiree and everybody in between. These are things that any human being can ask another human being. And God could use those as an initiative to go further in gospel conversations. A second thing that I would encourage you to do is if you've built a relationship with someone, simply do what I did with Ryan. Ask them. You know, I don't know if you would want to do this, but... If you'd be interested, I would love to read the Bible with you. We could just sit down and open the Bible and just read a chapter together. We could start in the Gospel of John, which is a biography about Jesus. We could just read a chapter together each week. And we could just walk through it together. You may not know the answer to every question they may be asked, but just get them in front of the Word. And let the Word have its effect in someone's life. You might even want to tag team with another believer. And say, you know what, what if you and I simply started a Bible study in a cafe or, or online or, or in your house and we just simply invited one or two others to be a part of that and we're doing that for the sake of them, not for the sake of us. Brothers and sisters, Christians are so accustomed to having Bible studies so that I'm fed, I'm, fat, I'm fed, it's time for many of you to start feeding. And now is the time to do it in the midst of the confusion. In the midst of the pandemic, in the midst of the abnormality, the mission of God is not on hold. It's not on pause. Look outward. The mission is still ongoing. Brothers and sisters, the Christ follower, because of the power of the gospel, can be steady in very confusing times. When you or your neighbors and all the world around you, we literally don't know what to do We put our eyes on Him. And so here's our closing prayer this morning. Father, we don't always know what to do, but may our eyes forever be on You. We don't always know what to do, but may our eyes forever be on You. Father, we pray that that would be the reality of our hearts today. We confess to you today that we are confused. There may be some things we're certain of, but as we're navigating these uncertain times, there are so many times we literally just don't know what to do. And so our eyes are on you, our eyes are on your son Jesus. Because since he has saved us by the power of his gospel, our greatest need has been taken care of. Our greatest need has been provided. And so out of that greatest provision. Father we look to you. Because we know that out of the gospel. We can navigate any uncertainty. And any confusion on this earth. Because of the certainty we have. In the saving gospel of Jesus Christ. And we pray today for anyone watching. Or anyone present. For whom this is not the reality. We pray that you would draw him. We pray that you would draw her to yourself, softening their heart to you so that they might repent and turn to faith in Jesus and might have great certainty brought to their confusion as well. And we pray these things in his matchless name. Amen.